ESPN, Pinellas Park, W262CP, Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Locations in Newport. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Notice that Jesus mentions God's concerns first in this prayer before our concerns. He purposely did this in order to teach us that only when God's name is first honored, only when his kingdom is first longed for, and only when his will is first considered, can we then look to him to meet our needs. In other words, the Lord is telling us that his glory is to be our number one priority. That is to say, his affairs come before our affairs. Our personal needs, though important, are secondary to exalting him and his will. That is so true, Pastor Steve. 1 Peter 4.11 says that whatever it is we're doing, it should glorify God. That should especially be true for our times of prayer. Then, too, there's the danger that if we start off praying for our needs, we could easily become so wrapped up in those things that we might forget to pray for what is most important, and that is God's glory. Because of His unsurpassed greatness, power, and holiness, God deserves all the reverence and respect we can give Him. So that's the perfect place to start when we address God. Hi, say thanks for listening today. You've tuned in to Verse by Verse. It's a radio Bible class led by Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has been ministering with his clear, expository teaching at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, since 1981. We hope his messages help you walk victoriously through the challenges and the temptations that Christ followers face practically every day. Pastor Steve has just begun a six-message series on the Lord's Prayer, or as it's more accurately known, the Disciples' Prayer. Now, if you have your Bible ready, please turn to Matthew chapter 6, and let's settle down as class begins. Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, verse 13, Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father, note this, here's why we should pray, Here's why he wants to answer our prayers, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And that's why Jesus said, if you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. We are to pray not out of selfish motives and only for ourselves without any concern for God, but we are to pray, Jesus said, so that God would be glorified in the answer. James chapter 4, verse 3 essentially says the same thing. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. These people were simply asking things, but only for themselves. Now, let me tell you where this came home to me a number of years ago. The year was 1984. My mom had been diagnosed with lung cancer. In fact, she had been battling lung cancer for about two years. We knew the end was, was coming, and uh, I was very burdened about her salvation, and I had prayed many times for her to be saved. But it was through an understanding of the word, through the enlightenment of the word, as I came to this passage of scripture, all of a sudden it hit me that I had been praying, though I certainly was concerned for my mom to go to heaven and, and not hell. I have to tell you that one of the primary concerns in my, in my heart, was I was praying selfishly. I was praying, I had been praying for her salvation for many years so that life would be a little bit easier for me. 
I would have somebody in my immediate family who would be an ally with me. Life had been challenging as a believer with my uh, family and, and relatives. And I thought if my mom came to Christ, the pressure would be off of me. There'd be someone I could fellowship with, someone I could, I could go down and see the family and it, and it, and it wouldn't always be an awkward battle and, and that type of thing. And I realized that that's, that's an improper motivation. I was praying to make life more comfortable and better for me. And when I realized that, I humbled, I had to humble myself and repent before the Lord and admit my sin. And I, I said, Lord, while certainly I want her to go to heaven, my primary reason I'm going to be praying for her salvation now is so that you would be glorified. There'd be one more person in this universe who would submit to you, who would honor you, who would respond to you the way that, that you should be responded to. Lord, may, may you save my mom for your glory, not my own comfort. And to the Lord's honor and, and praise, she did pray to receive Christ, literally on her deathbed, five hours before, before she died. But I, I tell you that because I realize that there are many of us who, who pray like that. We pray thinking only of ourselves to make life more comfortable for us, better for us. And, and I think that's one reason why many of us have such anemic prayer lives. We, we don't see many positive answers to our prayers because our requests are so self-centered and, and born really out of self-interest. They're, they're all about my needs and my health concerns and my feelings and my desires and my interests. Certainly it's all right to pray for our own needs but not in a self-focused way that has no concern at all for God to be glorified by the answer to these prayers. We're, we're sort of demanding, and, and we, we don't think of the Lord, except do what I say, like he's our servant. Do what I say. See, our first consideration in bringing any request to God should never be, how does, how does all this affect me? Or uh, how do I benefit from the answer to this prayer? What's in it for me? It should be, though, how does this prayer and the answer to it affect God? How will it bring him glory? How will he be honored by, by answering this request? That'll purify your, your prayer life. And you can easily see in the structure of the Lord's prayer that Jesus had this in mind, that Jesus structured this prayer in such a way that he was teaching us that our first consideration is to promote and exalt God. And let me show you what I mean. Notice that Jesus mentions God's concerns first in this prayer before our concerns. There's a reason that he did this. He purposely did this in order to teach us that only, watch this, only when God's name is first honored, only when his kingdom is first longed for, and only when his will is first considered, can we then look to him to meet our needs. In other words, the Lord is telling us that his glory is to be our number one priority. That is to say, his affairs come before our affairs. Our personal needs, though important, are secondary to exalting him and his will. And so from really beginning to, to end, the Lord's Prayer shows us that when we pray, our first concern and consideration should not be for ourselves, but for his honor and glory. And so that even when we pray for ourselves, it is only so that God would be glorified in the answer. But before we can even pray and even begin to ask anything in prayer, we first have to recognize the person to whom we're, we're speaking. What, what, is, what is it in the way we're to approach God? 
Who is he? What is he like? And so before Jesus instructs us on how to petition God, he first tells us about the God that we are petitioning. And that's what we want to focus on this morning. In the opening statement of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gives us three key truths about the God that we pray to. We need to know about him before we ask him anything. And so let's begin this morning getting into our text. The first key truth about the God that we pray to is that, number one, he's a father. He's a father. Lord's Prayer officially begins with Jesus stating in verse 9, pray then in this way, meaning pray along these lines or pray in the following manner. It does not mean pray exactly these words that I told you. You'd finish this in like 10 seconds, maybe quicker. He said, pray along these lines. Our Father who is in heaven. I think most of us have grown up hearing these words so that they're very familiar to us. And quite frankly, we don't give much thought to them. We, we, we just uh, have grown up hearing it and our Father who's in heaven. However, I can guarantee you that the Lord's first disciples, when they heard this, they were absolutely startled. They had never heard anything like this. They had never heard anyone except Jesus say that they were to address God as their father. You see, no Jewish person up to that time ever spoke of God directly as his father. Instead, they would, would address him in certain exalted, with certain exalted names, king of the universe, sovereign lord, ruler, creator of all things, creator of heaven and earth, words, words like that. Now, it is certainly true that the Old Testament writers believed in the fatherhood of God, and they wrote about the fatherhood of God, but Whenever they spoke of the fatherhood of God, it was always to the Jewish nation collectively, never to an individual. In not one instance, in any of the 39 books that make up the Old Testament, do we read of an individual believer calling upon God as his personal father. Abraham never did that. Moses never did that. David, as close as he was to the Lord, singing all of those, those psalms, Never call God his, his own personal father. And no prophet, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, and none of those men ever call God their father. Of the 14 times that God is mentioned as a father in the Old Testament, as I said, it is always in relation to the nation of Israel collectively and never to an individual. For example, Isaiah sixty three sixteen says this, you, O Lord, are our father, meaning the nation's father. Jeremiah 31, 9, for I am a father to Israel. First Chronicles 29, 10, David praises God by saying, blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our father forever and ever. But it's to Israel that he's the father. And in Exodus 4, 22, God himself acknowledges that he is a father to the Jewish nation when he says, Israel is my son, my firstborn. I'm their father. Israel is my son. And so based on, on this understanding that God was a father to the nation, as a whole, and not to any individuals within the nation, no Jewish person ever dared to speak to God as his father. That is, until Jesus did. And Jesus did a lot. This is not isolated. Jesus did it a lot. Pastor Steve is right. Jesus' ministry marked the beginning of a new relationship between God and individual people. I don't know why he chose to operate that way, but I'm glad that I can talk in person, to my Heavenly Father. Welcome to Verse by Verse. In case you have just tuned in, you have been listening to Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. 
We're really just getting started on an extensive series of lessons about the Lord's Prayer. You know, it's amazing how much we can learn from such a short prayer. If you missed the start of the program, keep listening, and at the end, I'll let you know how you can hear it again on the Internet or how you can order a CD or cassette by phone. Now, let's return to class for more discussion about the fatherhood of God and the difference in the relationships between God and His people in the Old Testament times and today. As one reads through the New Testament gospel accounts, it becomes very clear that Jesus did not use the standard Jewish way of addressing God in prayer. You you do not read of him saying, exalted exalted ruler, king of the universe, oh sovereign one. He, He didn't pray like a typical Jewish man. Instead, he had an intimacy with God that was reflected in the way that he addressed him. He addressed him as father. In the gospel accounts, we read of 60 times, actually it's more than 60 times that Jesus addressed God as father. The one exception to this is that while on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a quote from Psalm 22, which is also about the cross. And it it makes sense because when Jesus was dying at that moment, he was forsaken by the father because he was dying in our place as our sin bearer our substitute sin bearer, separated from the fellowship of his father. Therefore, the father-son intimacy that had been experienced, that he had experienced as the second person of the, of the Trinity was broken. And for the first time ever, folks, the first person of the Trinity was just God to him, not father, just God to him. And so he cried out, my God, my God, rather than my father, my father. But that's the only case. In all other cases, Jesus spoke intimately to God by addressing him as father. And and by doing this, Jesus was revealing a closeness that he had with God that was, quite frankly, just foreign to the Jewish people of his day. See, the reason they spoke of God in such exalted terms, ruler of the universe, as I said, sovereign one, creator of heaven and earth, is because that's the only way they knew him. They knew God. There's no personal relationship. They knew him as awesome. They knew him as powerful, but they knew him as remote and distant. As one teacher put it, they saw God as a distant, faded figure who had once guided their ancestors. And if you visit a synagogue today, you'll, you'll hear the same types of prayers. You'll, you'll not hear intimacy. You'll not hear closeness. You'll hear them address God with, with these, types, these types of titles. Oh, sovereign one. Oh, ruler of Israel, we come to you because that's all they they know of God. But when Jesus instructed his disciples on how to pray, the very first thing that he taught them before anything else was that they should address God in, watch this, the same intimate way that he did. And what's so amazing about this is how intimate his intimacy was. See, the Greek word that is used here in the New Testament for father is the, uh, the word pater, pater, well known even in, in our day in certain circles. But there's little doubt in anyone's mind that when Jesus spoke to his disciples, he used the, the language of his people, which at that time would be Aramaic, not Arabic, but Aramaic, which was a, a form of, of Hebrew. And the Aramaic word for father is Abba, Abba. In fact, sometimes the gospel writers will translate Abba, Father. In fact, that, that's how it is in, in the original Greek text, Abba, Father. But, but here, Father is 
Abba. That's the language he would have spoken. And, and what does that mean? It's equivalent to our, to our terms, our English terms, daddy, dad, papa, dearest father, father dear. The word Abba was one of the first words that a Jewish child learned to say. In fact, in one of our trips to Israel, Michelle and I overheard someone at the airport, a little boy, we were waiting for our luggage, speak to his father and say, Abba, Abba. Of course, they were speaking Hebrew. That, that's how they address their dads today. This is a word of endearment. It's a word of tenderness. It speaks of closeness. It's a word of familiarity. It's a word of nearness. And that's the way Jesus said that we, amazing as it seems, he said we are to address God this way as our Abba, our Papa, our dearest father and dad. Now, it may startle some of you to think of it this way, but Jesus was really teaching that it would be very appropriate in our prayers to address God as our daddy in heaven or our papa in heaven or our heavenly papa. Now, if that sounds to you unthinkable, unthinkable and irreverent, foreign to the way that you were raised, then I have a sobering thought for you. That's exactly how the Jewish people of Christ's day thought too. I thought it was too irreverent. They considered God too remote, too awesome, too majestic, too exalted over them to be called daddy. Daddy by a mere human. But that's exactly how Jesus said we're to address our father. He's our heavenly papa. Now, I want you to understand that the precise word that you choose in addressing the father is not the critical issue. If you call him father or heavenly daddy or heavenly papa or, or Abba, that's, that's relatively insignificant. What is important is that you understand that if you are a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ, then you have become a child of God. And that means that God is your, is your father and that should influence the way you pray. There, there ought to be a closeness. There ought to be a warmth of relationship. There ought to be a personal relationship with him so that you can speak to him with intimacy and closeness and personal warmth and, and tenderness. He, he is your father, your Abba. But understand not everyone is a child of God. And that may be new for some of you. But the Bible definitely teaches that though God is the creator of all. And in that sense... Every person on the planet is, we would say, the offspring of God. He is the father only to those who trust his son as Savior and Lord. The Bible teaches that most definitively in uh, well, a number of places, but John, especially John chapter 1, just, just nails it. John chapter 1, and I'll tell you why. It says in verse 11, Speaking of Jesus, he came to his own, meaning his own people, the Jewish people, the Jewish nation. And those who were of his own did not receive him. That's a fact that the nation as a whole rejected Christ. But there were individuals, Jewish individuals in that, within that nation who accepted him. And so we read in verse 12, but as many as received him. And to receive him means to warmly embrace him. It's to trust him. It's to believe upon him. As many as received him to them. And it means to them and only them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who, who believe in his name. So to receive him is to believe in him. To believe in him is to trust him. Those who were born, John clarifies, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. It means not a human birth, nor of the will of man, but of God. He's speaking about being born again. When you're born again, you enter by the new birth into God's family. Paul will later 
in his letters explained that not only was it by the born again experience, but we have also been adopted into the family of God. But those who, who are in his family through faith in Christ, and that's the only way you can be. We enter the family of God because why? Our sins no longer separate us from God. To Jesus on the cross, he was God. But to us, he now becomes our father because Jesus bore our sins, took our sins away. We're forgiven. And in being forgiven, we have been brought into fellowship with him. And that means we are now part of his intimate spiritual family so that he's our father. And we're his children. And note this, one of the very first indications that you have been born again, that you have trusted Christ as your Savior, is that you you have a new awareness and a Holy Spirit-given inward impulse to relate to God as your your Father. Let me show you what I mean. This may help some of you who are new in the faith. Look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. Paul says, because you are sons... God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, note this, Abba, Father. The reason you cry out, the reason that that as a new believer or, or any believer cries out, Abba, Father, is that God, the Holy Spirit, has come into us and he gives us an awareness that now God is our Father. He's no longer, oh, distant God out there in the heavens. He's your Father. And you cry out, Abba, Father. Paul said the same thing. To the Romans, Romans chapter 8, in verse 15, he said, For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of what? Adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. At the time of our salvation, unknown to us at that moment, the Holy Spirit comes to live with inside of every believer. And it is the Holy Spirit's responsibility to make us aware that God is our father. And therefore, Paul is saying there's no longer any need to be fearful. So we cry out to him in a way that we previously have never spoken to him. We cry out, Abba, Father. We know, you know, even when I was first saved, I I had struggles with assurance of my salvation. But even going through all the struggles, I, I really knew that God was my father. I knew that I had entered into a personal relationship with him. And I knew it because the word taught it and because the spirit of God affirmed that in my life. I now had somebody I could go to, my father. And so if God is your father, then how does that practically affect your prayer life? Every time you speak to God as your Abba Father, it is really just a fresh reminder that the one you are speaking to is loving and kind and cares about you and has your best interests at heart. He's your Father, and He can be trusted to provide everything you need because you know what? That's what a Father does. Yes, indeed, a good Father has your best interests at heart. Now, maybe your Father wasn't such a good Father. Perhaps you find it hard to relate to the fatherhood images in the Bible. I wish we had time for the whole message today because Pastor Steve will be addressing that issue next. So I hope you can join us next time. But in the meantime, we can rest in this. While some of us have been disappointed by our fathers, that disappointment means that some dads didn't live up to the standards that God has hardwired into us. The very fact that we are disappointed when our dads fail us shows us that we know what a good father should be like. And God meets and even exceeds those standards. So please come back again next time for the conclusion of the model prayer, part one. 
You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. For over 25 years now, Pastor Steve has been teaching at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse Ministries is an extension of that expository teaching and preaching ministry. Our website is versebyverseradio.org. We invite you to visit the website to learn more about Verse by Verse Ministries or to listen to this program again. You can also subscribe to our free podcasting service. Once more, the website is versebyverseradio.org. Now, today's program was the middle part of Pastor Steve's first message about the Lord's Prayer. If you would like to hear the entire message at one time, you can order either a CD or a cassette with the full message. Please call 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we'll return your call during weekday office hours. That number again is 727-441-1714. It's the Faithful Prayers and Financial.